0: Strokeside Designs is a New York based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my dragon boat paddle heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany and Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit paddlejewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is paddlejewelry.com and enter the code pink. Are you a dragon boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Watersports makes high performance, lightweight carbon fiber dragon boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the dragon boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape and more. Visit their website at HornetWaterSports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's HornetWaterSports.com and enter the code PINK. Thanks for listening in to this special episode. I hope that you and your family are well and safe. I invited my previous medical oncologist, Dr. Shannon Puhala, to join us on the podcast to talk about COVID-19 and cancer. She shares how her medical institution has responded to the situation, how individual cases are being reviewed to determine if delay of treatment is an option, how those currently in treatment can stay healthy and safe, as well as what to do if you're experiencing symptoms that may suggest the presence of cancer. I want to give a big shout out to all of those sitting on the front lines of this and are exposing themselves to this disease for the greater good. You are appreciated and you are loved. Thank you. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Dr. Shannon Puhala. She is an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine and a medical oncologist and hematologist with the UPMC Hillman Cancer Center, She specializes in breast oncology, phase one clinical trials, and novel therapeutics in breast cancer. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pahala. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. So I reached out to you um, in light of all of what's happening with the coronavirus and just wanted to do a special episode for our listeners who might be um, current patients or maybe they're survivors to really talk about the implications of this Virus, and then different ways for people to, you know, stay safe and healthy, um, you know, as we kind of progress through what is happening currently. Sure. So, in light of everything that's going on, What are some potential implications that you have seen so far? I mean, obviously, this is very novel for many of us, um, but from your perspective, you know, what are some of those implications for either cancer patients or cancer survivors? Sure, yeah. We have
1: seen a lot of different influences of this novel virus on our current practice, and it's really... Um, impacted every single piece of how we take care of a patient with cancer, you know, for something as simple as getting a yearly mammogram, getting a biopsy, getting a surgery, getting treatment, coming in and out of the cancer center. Those are all things that we've really had to very critically examine how that that comes to impact our patients. So I think we kind of think of it as in a couple different ways, one of which is are healthy follow-up patients. So these are people who maybe we're seeing every 6 or 12 months on a routine basis, patients who are getting their surveillance imaging, patients who may be taking medicines like tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors. And those are situations where we're really trying to avoid those patients coming in at this time. So our approach has been a couple-fold. And most most, um, major cancer centers and um, pretty much all all. Cancer centers that are taking care of patients during this time have come up with some guidelines. So typically what we're suggesting for that group of patients is one of two things, one of which is if you're doing great, feeling great, no new symptoms, you have enough medicine, let's push that visit back a month or two. Um, The other thing that we're offering for those patients we've developed at our center, and I know many centers throughout the country are doing, is telemedicine visits. So those are video and audio visits where you can see and communicate with a patient. So I find that that's a little bit more useful when you're needing to discuss test results, when someone is having symptoms that they're concerned about, where you really need to have that dialogue But we have to think of it as two ways, is one of which is we don't want someone to be exposing themselves to a hospital or to a medical environment, but then we also don't want those patients bringing in potential exposures to our patients who are undergoing chemotherapy and maybe immunosuppressed or more vulnerable. So we're trying to kind of think about those patients who are on active treatment with chemotherapy and then those patients who are out in the community on either um, follow up without medication or follow up on medications like tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors.
0: Right. Well, I know um, just in Arizona, I received the notification today um, and it was actually issued today where our governor had indicated that telemedicine is okay to proceed with. So up to this point, it sounds like, you know, really everybody's been kind of hanging in the balance of what Mm -hmm. was acceptable, what was not acceptable. So, you know, and I don't know, um, obviously, that seems to be kind of a state by state, um, you know, thing that's happening. But hopefully, you know, as we're progressing, you know, the telemedicine is something that can be offered, you know, consistently across the board until we get past um, what's happening now.
1: Sure. And I think where it becomes a little more difficult sometimes with breast cancer patients is that the breast exam is an important part of those visits. So that's something that we lose. So part of it is, you know, it might be it might make more sense to say, let's push you back two months. If you're having any symptoms, let's have a conversation. So that's kind of another thing that we're doing as well. And those patients where we really feel that the physical exam is an important piece, which does encompass most of our breast patients, is we don't want to say, okay, we're, not, we're just not going to see you this year. It's to say, let's maybe push some of those back safely. So that's, it's, it's really done on a case-by-case basis at this point.
0: Right. So, you know, kind of thinking about that, um, did you, You know, as UPMC, I mean, it's a very large um, facility, and, you know, I don't know how many patients you actually have, um, but thinking about, you know, you're not the only medical oncologist, (laughs) there are many others within the practice. Mm -hmm. Did you all kind of sit down and go through each Mm -hmm. case? Okay. And then decided what was most appropriate for that person?
1: Right. Well, and, and I wouldn't say we did that all as a group. I think, you know, each doctor is doing that for their patients. We've had discussions about groups of patients. So patients who are on endocrine therapy versus patients who are um, observation only, patients who have scans that you're reviewing with them, even things as important as um, who do we delay scans in. And, you know, and most mm-hmm. of our patients who are getting just regular screening mammograms, we are pushing those back.
0: Okay. And so, you know, thinking about those people, you know, there there are two populations um, that I'm most concerned about. So for somebody like me, who, you know, I still have my yearly checkup and all of those kind of mm-hmm. things, um, you know, I would be less concerned for myself. But there are two populations that I'm concerned about. One would be those who are currently in active treatment, and then those mm-hmm. who. You know, the reality is, is that there are people every day who are finding and experiencing symptoms that they're starting this process. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's those people that I'm most concerned about. And so, you know, if we can talk a little bit about those two different groups um, and what that kind of means for them.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's those are our groups that I think are really, I think probably our active treatment patients are certainly the most vulnerable at this point. And, and really, the, the thing we have to think about with those patients is that, number one, will a delay in treatment affect outcome? And in, certainly, there's many situations where the answer to that is yes. The other thing is, how does the treatment affect someone's immune system in a way that may make them more vulnerable in terms of the infection? So really, there are certain situations where we can safely delay systemic therapy. So for instance, if I'm seeing a brand new patient today who had surgery yesterday, which you know, certainly wouldn't happen, but just for example's sake, we may say to that patient, we know that we want to start chemotherapy somewhere before 12 weeks. We know that if you get beyond particularly 16 weeks, you can lose the effectiveness of chemotherapy. So we don't want to hug that border too quickly. But if we're looking at patients having similar outcomes at 4 weeks or 8 weeks, then maybe it is going to be better to think about pushing those patients down the road. I think one of our big challenges with that is we don't know how far we're going to be able to kick the can down the road so to speak. So there's there's nothing saying that the Coronavirus is going to be gone in four weeks or eight weeks. So we, we want to be real careful that um, it, knowing that it, kind of the guidance that we're operating under now as medical professionals is if you can delay something safely six to eight weeks, consider it. But if you can't delay safely six to eight weeks, then you need to treat those patients. So with that, what we're doing for our active treatment patients is trying to eliminate extra foot traffic in the cancer center. So unfortunately now patients cannot come um, with a visitor. So, And and I know that that is really, really devastating. And it's tough because... You know, when people are getting chemotherapy, they might be sitting there for hours. You're getting a lot of information, so you often need that extra set of ears. Um, So we're trying to do a lot of things to work around that, Um, having patients um, call in their family members, and I've had a number of patients where we've had a couple people dial in on FaceTime or something like that, and it's really just we can't afford to have that extra foot traffic in the cancer centers for people who are maybe in that asymptomatic phase but still potentially spreading this virus. Um, For our patients on treatment, and this is consistent with guidelines from other major um, groups that help to make decisions for patients with cancer is to keep those patients on active chemotherapy on schedule. So we do want to keep those patients um, coming in Because we know that affects their outcome and certainly there are situations where, um, for instance, someone who has stage 4 disease where we wouldn't be able to safely give those patients a break. Now there's other scenarios. So one of the things that we've talked about is maybe someone who's on chronic Herceptin. You know, somebody who's in the metastatic setting who's been getting Herceptin as a single agent for four or five years. And, and you know, thankfully, we have a lot of those patients. Maybe those are patients as well where we may want to offer um, a treatment break as well. So if we're saying, well, coming in every three weeks, maybe come in slightly less frequently or maybe take an extra month off, something like that, because that's probably not going to affect that patient's outcome either. So that's what we're okay. really trying to critically look at.
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, thinking about those people who are coming in for active treatment, you know, um, especially when it's chemotherapy, you know, I know that um, some people might be also doing radiation and, you know, that we can talk about in a moment Mm -hmm. and um, I'm interested to hear what's happening with those patients. But, you know, if, if somebody's coming in because, you know, delaying chemotherapy would, you know, potentially impact outcome, what are some things that those people can do to, you know, maintain their health and be safe?
1: Yeah. Great question. So really what I am telling those patients is social distancing is because of you. So definitely if you have an option, do not leave your house for any reason except to come to the cancer center. You know, even I think even things like going to the grocery store, you just have to worry about those situations. So for patients who are able to have another family member go to pick up groceries or to, um, um, you know, just avoid those situations themselves is very important. I know it's, um, it's difficult and it's certainly difficult to be cooped up in the house and people, I encourage them to take a, you know, walk around their neighborhood provided, but not, not everyone's out or, um, you know, even around the backyard or sit out and get some sunshine. Certainly that's easier for you in Arizona than yes. us in Pennsylvania. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I am really telling patients who are on active treatment, do not leave their houses.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I think that's, wash your
1: hands don't have sick people come, you know, and really try to limit, you know, try to don't stay at home and have visitors come to you just stay at home with your immediate household, your, your family,
0: right? Yeah. And, you know, not for nothing. I mean, going through the treatments within itself, you know, absolutely impacts the immune system, you know, your body's fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, so anything that, you know, patients can do to reduce that risk, um, I would imagine is strongly encouraged.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and we know too that patients, you know, that the limited data we have from the experience in China is that patients who are have cancer as a comorbidity and you know, certainly, presumably, those who were undergoing chemotherapy at the time, their mortality is higher for certain. And if you think about somebody who may have a number of comorbid conditions, so maybe someone who's older has respiratory illness, has cancer, is getting chemotherapy. You can really look at a situation where we're not thinking about maybe that 1%, 2%, 3% mortality. We're thinking of mortality that's close to 10%, if not higher, once you start adding together some of these conditions. So, you know, we, we can certainly say that if somebody contracts coronavirus who's getting active chemotherapy, especially with other comorbid conditions, their outcome um, may not be good at all.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. So the people who are doing, you know, radiation, um, is that something mm-hmm. that is continuing as well? Or, you know, again, sure. case so by we, case. There's a
1: couple, yeah, a couple different thoughts on that. So what we are looking at is for patients who are low risk. So particularly someone who has maybe a um, stage one, small estrogen positive cancer. We are looking to push those back. Um, there's also is there's there's really actually a, a push in radiation oncology anyways to really critically look at who needs radiation or not. So that that question was undergoing being or being asked in that field even prior to the coronavirus. So we're able to really look at you know looking at these shorter courses, um, whether it's um, uh you know, a a much shorter timeline than what we might typically do, we do know that we can push back radiation um, a little bit more safely than pushing back chemotherapy. You know, some groups have even said to, um, you know, to push back as far as 16 weeks from the last surgery or chemotherapy. So that's that's, uh, something to look at. There's going to be those cases where, again, you've got inflammatory breast cancer that's been resected, Triple negative, really young patients, lots of positive lymph nodes that you you might not want to push back as far. But if you've got someone who's over the age of sixty five with a low risk ER positive cancer, we have data that those patients can either completely omit radiation
0: or to push that back. Okay, good, good. Well, so there are two thoughts I had. So one of them, um, yeah. first and foremost, is you know I'm hearing a lot about um, surgeries being delayed. And so again, I would, I would think that that would be very much a case by case basis where, you know, if somebody is walking through the door um, who is newly diagnosed and scheduled for surgery, um, potentially some of them might be able to be delayed, but then there are others that it's critical to have that done. So how is that kind of being determined?
1: Sure. So the what's interesting, what's a challenge about surgeries you've probably heard a lot is as you had mentioned about delaying elective procedures so certainly cancer surgeries aren't emergent you know it's not like a triple bypass in someone who's actively having a heart attack but it's also something that isn't like a routine colonoscopy so in, and within that as you mentioned We have people where the surgery is certainly more urgent. What we're looking at, at least at our institution, is do we have a safe alternative to surgery? So, for example, someone who has an estrogen-positive cancer who does not need chemotherapy, we know that we can safely give those patients hormone therapy for even up to 6 to 12 months. Prior to surgery, you know, that that data exists. So we're really looking at those patients where we can start the tamoxifen or start the aromatase inhibitor and push the surgery back until a safer time. Um, So that's something that we're actively looking at. Or um, if it's a situation of somebody needing chemotherapy prior to surgery, um, what's really being impacted? And I think that this is important, and it's difficult for patients because it's absolutely affecting decision-making at this time, is that plastic surgery procedures are considered elective. Yes. So for someone who's getting reconstruction or wants to have immediate reconstruction, that is definitely changing the timeline at this point.
0: Right. Yeah. And I know there are a lot of questions that have been popping up in the groups that I'm on Um in on Facebook. And, you know, some of them um, are concerned, you know, because surgery is being pushed back. So I think this will be helpful information um, for yeah. our listeners to be able to understand, you know, how those kind of calls are being made. And it may not necessarily be the same for every institution, but just kind of having some idea. Sure. And so I think about you know
1: one thing that I uh, just if, if I can just mention for a Absolutely. second, one of the things that um, one of our surgeons had mentioned, which I hadn't thought of some medical oncologist is that, For even just a regular outpatient lumpectomy, that a patient will see up to 25 different people over the course of that day. So between checking, you could probably tell me this too, right? By the time you check in, (laughs) you get the anesthesiologist, you get the scrub nurse, you get the post-op nurse, you get the check i mean it, there's really a lot of people anyone who's had a even a routine you know minor surgical procedure knows there's a lot of people that you meet over the course of that day so that's exposure so you know those are all things the other thing with surgery and you hear it's this is very much in the media right now the ppe or the personal protective equipment the masks the gowns the gloves those are things that we do not have an endless supply of right so we we need to look at conserving the PPE and then also thinking about the exposures that someone has. So that's really part of part of that discussion and why we're critically looking at that for everyone's safety.
0: Sure, absolutely. I mean I very much remember <laughs> seeing all of yeah. those people um, you know just between the time of check-in all the way up to you know, the recovery and then either ending up in a room, um, for an overnight stay or being discharged. So it is a lot of people, um, that, you know, one individual person could be exposed to. So exactly. One of the things I'm thinking about though, is, you know, some of these people are, um, anxious, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people that are like, I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm anxious. So what are, um, you know, I know that that's the mental health kind of aspect isn't necessarily um, your area of expertise, but I know that you deal with it on a regular basis because this is a very emotional diagnosis and mm-hmm. um, you sure. know, treatment as well. So what are some things that you might be able to offer, if anything, um, to those who might be having those feelings? Yeah, so
1: I know at our institution and, and lots of um, places throughout the country, the telemedicine aspect for mental health is there. So being able to speak with a counselor, a social worker, a psychologist over the phone or via a telemedicine appointment, those opportunities are there and are important. I think a lot of it is really having that careful conversation so that someone understands it's not that we're just pushing you off because of um, we don't care or because, you know, it's really for everyone's safety, certainly the patient's safety, for the safety of the staff, for the, pa- the safety of the patient sitting next to you in the waiting room, you know, all of those things. So I think a lot of it is understanding that we if we have safe alternatives This is a perfect time to do them, you know, as far as, say, for instance, delaying surgery and maybe starting your tamoxifen before surgery, things like that. Um, But definitely um, most places have some capacity for mental health telemedicine, which is important. And then still taking care of yourself, you know, encouraging people to do things like yoga and meditation and relaxation. Luckily, there's tons of apps out there that can really help with that. Um, But I know that's something locally and I'm sure at other places that that's being considered.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think about, um, you know, and right now, especially there are so many organizations that are offering free, you know, services in terms of yoga and meditation. Um, I know that um, the UPMC, Hellman Cancer Center, the integrative oncology uses an app called Cara um, that's, you know, kind of to help with, um, you know, sleep and relaxation. So those are some alternatives as well. And I would imagine, um, I mean, I really haven't tapped into it myself, but I think that even the um, cancer support centers, you know, whatever those might be called, Gilda's mm-hmm. Club or um, the mm-hmm. cancer support community, I think those are yeah. offering online um, services as well. So I think those would be great for people to tap into um, during this time to just kind of ease ease a little bit of that anxiety and nervousness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's um, luckily those services have continued. So that's, that's really wonderful. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the population of people who are, you know, they're just finding, you know, a lump or, you know, maybe they've uh, yeah. realized that the symptoms that they're experiencing are, you know, off and it might need to be explored. So what are, what are the recommendations for those people? So,
1: those patients are the people that we want to keep coming. You know, definitely for our breast imaging, if somebody has an urgent diagnostic, you know, I feel a lump, I need a biopsy. Those are still happening because what we need to learn is how can we stratify that patient? So is the lump that you're feeling a cyst? Is the lump that you're feeling a mass? Is that a triple negative cancer where we need to start chemo? Is that an estrogen positive cancer where we can do hormone therapy? So that part is actually still proceeding because that's critical for us to be able to triage patients.
0: Right. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, because somebody calls and they say, I feel a lump, you really have no idea if that lump is, you know, whatever stage it is. You know, it could be, yeah. um, you know, mm-hmm. a, an early stage, but it could also be metastatic. So, um, you know, I'm glad to hear that because I know, again, just kind of seeing the conversations that are happening, people are a little bit nervous about calling their doctor and saying, you know, I found something or I'm experiencing symptoms, um, but to be able to encourage them to continue to you know, explore what might be potentially going on and ruling out um, any breast cancer is, is great information. Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, we we absolutely. And those are those are not a telemedicine visit. You know, that is right. where you have to kind of see and be able to examine someone. Absolutely. So definitely for, and, and and I would tell patients, you know, if you feel something, it's, it's better to get it checked out than it is to be worried about staying home because of the coronavirus. You know, the patients who we think can safely stay home are those asymptomatic patients who are doing well, or a visit where we can say this is what the scan showed, and let's just talk about those findings. But absolutely, if someone has symptoms, I would not let fears of um, virus exposure keep them from seeking care. That's important. We are very careful. I mean, it's literally the the cleaning things that that are happening, hand sanitizer, hand washing. You know, all of those things. We're very aware of regardless, and now um, those are important. So I think that, you know, certainly for patients who are having a problem, they, they still de- definitely need to be seen.
0: Good. Okay. And then, so the other thing that I've been hearing too, and I know there's, um, you know, somebody had posed a question um, about, you know, suppressed immune system or, you know, just weaker immune systems following cancer. Um, so I, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there are some people who are definitely, um, at higher risk. And so, you know, so I'm thinking about myself particularly. Um, so I'll use myself as an example. You know, it's been Mm -hmm. 13 years since I've had my initial diagnosis and a number of years since I've had kind of my last surgery or treatment or whatever. Um, is there still a possibility that my immune system may not necessarily be working up to par um, to fight, you know, or ward off the the virus? Somebody had asked that yeah. question, so I'm curious.
1: Yeah, so we we think probably patients, especially if they are years out from any type of treatment like chemotherapy, they should be fine. You know, we don't think that the hormone therapies have any effect on the immune system and those can definitely be continued and those can be continued safely. Um, you know, in theory is if we had a way to kind of a test, uh, test the immune system, so to speak, is it a hundred percent normal um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to give hard data on that, but we suspect that people even probably who are 6 or 12 months out from chemotherapy don't need to worry any more than someone who's been unaffected by cancer. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, my immune system is just terrible. <laughs> um, I will pick up the smallest thing from anyone. Yeah. And I don't know if that's related to the cancer treatments or, you know, just a number yeah, of other things. Yeah, kind of how your body is, yeah, right? Yeah. exactly. So, um, you know, and so I, I think that um, having that information is good as well. Again, you know, everybody, what my comment that I had posted in the group where somebody had asked the question was, I feel like everybody's different. You know, um, the way that our bodies respond to uh, treatments and how they recover will be different. And so, you know, maybe my immune system isn't great. And maybe that's related to the cancer treatments. Maybe it's not. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But because I know that I pick up things really easily from anyone, um, you know, I know that I just have to distance myself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's a good a good thought is that if you're somebody who tends and it doesn't mean that if you don't tend to get sick easily that you can be a little bit more cavalier, that's not right. the case. <laughs> but on the flip side, right, if you if you know you're kind of one of those persons who somebody sneezes across the room and you know you're getting sick the next day, yeah, so I would certainly use that as as a reason to have strict social distancing.
0: Right. Good. Okay. Well, is there anything else that, you know, I, I feel like we've covered a lot and it's been great information and I know that our listeners are gonna find value. Is there anything else that you feel like our listeners need to be aware of that we haven't already? Yeah, talked I think about?
1: it's um I think, you know, we're we're all in this together and we we definitely want to keep everyone as safe as possible and, and my heart definitely goes out to patients, especially those who are newly diagnosed or trying to navigate chemotherapy dealing with this virus and your are the concerns of the virus and your doctors, nurses, your healthcare team, we are here for you. And, um, again, and and even for those patients who aren't in active treatment anymore, these are the opportunities where you can think, you know, do I know somebody who's going through chemo? Can I come and bring them groceries and leave them at their house? Or, you know, I'm going to wash my hands extra well, or those, those types of things, you know, the social distancing is real and it's important. And this is again, where we all have an opportunity to affect everyone's outcome. And, and I think, you know, having somebody who's gone through breast cancer knows it probably better than anyone else that it's, um, important to, you know, be safe and to look out for other people.
0: Absolutely. And I love that. I think that that's, um, that is a perfect way to end this episode. Um, you know, just making sure that we're all doing our own due diligence to keep everybody else safe, um, you know, even if we don't have immune compromised <laughs> or we're not immune compromised. Sure, absolutely. So,
1: yeah. yeah, I think it's, you know, that advice of, of acting like you have it in terms yes. of how strict you are with your social distancing is true. And that's the only way we're going to get through this absolutely. Um, as a society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, You know, I love you dearly. Um, I didn't mention at the top of the podcast that you are my previous medical oncologist. Um, But, you know, I definitely appreciate all that you do um, for everybody and, you know, mostly what you've done for me. But, um, you know, I appreciate the time and the, the conversation. I think it's really good information. Yep, yeah, it's, uh, it's
1: my pleasure and, and thank you very much. And it's, uh, I'm real happy to have had the opportunity to speak with you today and to get this message out.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com.
1: thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit